from Advisory Board, we're bringing you a radio advisory. My name is Rachel Woods. You can call me Ray. It's the end of February, which means that Haven Healthcare, that conglomerate between Amazon, JP Morgan, and Berkshire Hathaway, it's officially come to a close. And you know, it wasn't too long ago that the creation of Haven had providers just shaking in their boots. But I don't think this is a story just about Haven or even just about Amazon. So today I want to talk about the broader push from Silicon Valley to disrupt the healthcare industry. We'll talk about what we can learn from the rise and ultimately fall of Haven and what sort of disruption might be coming next. To do that, I've brought back digital health expert Andrew Rebhan. Hey, Andrew. Hey, Ray. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I mean, it's kind of weird that it's almost March, and it feels like March was yesterday, which I guess just means we're creeping up on a year of living through this crisis. Yeah, it's definitely not been the uh, funnest year of my life, but I'm really kind of keeping my fingers crossed for 2021 looking a little bit better, at least in the second half of the year. Well, I'm glad you're back because there have been a bunch of big changes and announcements in the kind of digital health, big tech space. And maybe the biggest change that's happened is the announcement with Haven, right? Haven is not the first time that these kind of outsiders have attempted to enter and maybe even disrupt the healthcare space. I think a lot of folks have seen disruptors come and go and try to make their way into healthcare and ultimately to fail. What other examples beyond Haven have you seen? Yeah. So when it comes to big tech's efforts and some of their previous failures, I think there's a lot of common examples that keep coming up. One being Google Health, which at the time was more of a product. It was focused around essentially creating a personal health record. Another one was Microsoft's Health Vault, which lasted a little bit longer, but it was launched around the same time. We've seen Google Glass, for example, that kind of Mm. came into the market with a lot of attention, but really only lasted a couple of years, mostly because they didn't really know what to do with it from a consumer perspective. It was quite expensive, didn't really have a lot of tested use cases, but it's come around now as kind of an enterprise product. So it is still actually out there. And then there's some maybe less high-profile examples, IBM's Watson kind of having mm-hmm. some stumbles with its um, drug discovery program. Virally also recently shut down their research on smart contact lenses that could essentially track glucose. It was something they were studying for years and hmm. it had all this potential behind it, but they actually just decided they can't do anything with it or it's just too difficult. So they're pivoting away from that research. And now Haven is more or less just the, the latest example of just a, an initiative that got a lot of attention at the start and just couldn't really turn into anything over a couple of years. So I wonder if there are all of these examples of failed products, why would a big tech company even want to get into the healthcare space? Healthcare has so much running room for improvement. Just when you think of the the size and the scale and the scope of it all, really, I mean, just the amount of inefficiency, waste, overall dissatisfaction from whether it's the workforce or whether it's the customer. And big tech, these are employers. 
themselves, right? They employ mm-hmm. plenty of folks all over the world. And so naturally they're incentivized to try to cut back on healthcare costs for their employees. And I think that while they're still very innovative and always coming up with new you know, products and services, they also have established core businesses that over a certain period of time would potentially slow down in terms of their growth. And so healthcare serves as a, just another means of kind of diversifying their revenue streams. I should also say that I think we in the kind of traditional healthcare space think about failure in a very different way than a Google or an Amazon thinks about a failed product, right? Yeah, I mean, maybe, you know, for, for big tech, it's they might not even necessarily frame something as, as a failure or rather just a learning experience, right? I mean, I, I listed off some of those initial products or services that we would say have failed, but in many respects, those projects were just revamped or, or put into stealth mode or just repurposed for something else down the line. And so it's really just kind of a working iteration of how they do business compared to other folks who don't fall into that big tech category. And it's not all bad, right? Like you mentioned that a lot of folks like to point to the same handful of examples of quote unquote failure. I've actually even had providers be super bullish with me and and almost say like, bring it on big tech. You You want to try to get into our industry. You just wait and see how hard it is. But I have to imagine that there are also a lot of success stories out there. What are some of those? So in some regards, success is relative for a lot of these companies. They, they are actually, if you look at what Google, Amazon, Apple, and the like are doing, there's, there's a bit of overlap as far as who can kind of optimize a certain product or service the best way. And it's still unfolding. There's a lot of these initiatives that are still early days. We're still trying to figure out what their long-term potential is. But we can see where a lot of these companies are focusing in on their particular areas of strength. So Apple seems to be focusing a lot more on their personal health record, something that could have very well taken from Microsoft and Google's previous efforts. But now they're essentially trying to use their iPhones as a core hub of connectivity. Mm -hmm. They also are really running at their smartwatch being a growth segment of their business. Amazon, of course, they got their big foothold into the industry with PillPack's acquisition. Now they're running with their distribution and logistics platform to build out their own pharmacy service that they recently announced. And I think Google is really just all about the data at this point. They obviously dominate in search. They finished their acquisition of Fitbit, which gives them a ton of new consumer data to work with. And they're really leveraging their cloud platform and new research apps that they've created. I mentioned Google Cloud, but really, if you think about Amazon Web Services, Microsoft and their Azure platform, all these big tech vendors are looking at cloud functionality in particular, as well as virtual assistants and all the growth we've seen with Siri and Alexa and Cortana services. So it's clearly not the kind of graveyard of disruption that maybe that angry provider would have liked to convince me of. And what you're describing is that big tech is casting a really wide net in terms of what they can do with healthcare. And even within those organizations, right, you mentioned several things beyond Haven that Amazon is doing just as one example. I do want to take a few moments to talk about Haven specifically. Maybe just remind everyone in our audience what the initial goal of Haven Healthcare actually was. 
Yeah, so if we think about what Haven was all about, right, this is obviously three big companies coming together in Amazon and, and JP Morgan and, and Berkshire. And the idea was, look, combined, we have over a million employees and we know healthcare is a mess in certain ways and, and we should be able to leverage our resources to fix this problem with employee costs for healthcare. But I think the the issue with Haven is that when it comes to what their goals were, they were actually just so vague. They were quite general, this idea of we're going to come together to create better health outcomes. We're going to improve primary care access. We're going to simplify insurance. We're going to make drugs more affordable. You know, it's it's certainly well-intentioned. You know, these are positive things that we should be hoping that they succeed in. But I think it's just the fact that when Haven was initially launched and and what we were trying to understand what they were actually trying to do, it was pretty hard to parse out. I mean, even their website was really limited yeah. on details. There really wasn't a whole lot to to dig into this. That's why there was so much speculation about just what Haven was meant to do. And I think fear about what Haven was meant to do too. But but ultimately was maybe a set of goals that is too broad. Is that one of the reasons why Haven has ultimately ended up in this position? I think it was, yeah, it was certainly one aspect of maybe why things didn't work out, right? Trying to fix too many big problems all at once, not really having a a focused strategy. They didn't necessarily have any immediate products that they could put out to the market. So they announced the venture to the whole world and get all this attention for it, but Perhaps they announced it a little bit too early without really Hmm. having a a set plan in place. They were trying to disrupt the industry. But when you look at some of their initial steps in building out these particularly insurance plans for some of their employees in select states, they were doing this with entrenched players, right? They were just relying on on groups like, I believe it was Cigna and Aetna to uh, implement these test pilot programs that they were working on. So... It's hard to disrupt when you're still tied into the existing ways of doing things. And not to mention, these are three vastly different companies that work all across the nation, different regions, different geographies. And that old rule that healthcare is local and the way that insurance works is very local. And so I think Haven was just running up against a lot of barriers. And Atul Gawande, you know, kind of famously stepped up as the CEO of the conglomerate and then a couple months ago announced he was stepping down from Haven's kind of top position. Do you think that should have been a sign to the market for what was ultimately to come? I think it might have been the more of like the nail in the coffin, namely mm-hmm. because Haven was just plagued with a lot of executive turnover over the couple of years that they were in in business. So they actually had a number of high profile gigs that were filled and then very quickly dropped and, and they were constantly reshuffling their leadership position. So with Dr. Gawande stepping down, I mean, that's, that's really just uh, hard to come back from. It's hard to run a business when you don't have a CEO at the helm. Dr. Gawande, I mean, he's a notable surgeon. He's a professor, well-respected thought leader. I think everyone knows that he's he's very much a, a, an experienced leader in healthcare. But I think there's a difference between the typical roles that he's handled versus the day-to-day business of, of running Haven. 
And now he's in a different leadership position at the helm of, you know, trying to help the Biden administration fight against COVID-19. So maybe that's more of the COVID effect of what happened with Haven than maybe a, a direct response to the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, the, this type of advisor role for him is probably far more well suited to what he can do versus needing to try to scale up a new business. And I think COVID certainly did not help with Haven trying to get off the ground, right. I, but I don't think that was the sole reason why Haven ultimately didn't work out, but it, it was unfortunate that the timing was not very good. We'll be right back with more radio advisory after this short break. The Biden-Harris era has begun. What does unified democratic control of the federal government mean for healthcare in 2021 and beyond? Visit advisory.com slash Biden-Harris to stay on top of the latest news, collect expert perspectives, and access resources to help you anticipate and prepare for the actions of our new administration. Look for the link in the show notes. Do you ultimately think that this was just kind of overhyped? I mean, I don't know if you remember the day that Haven, I guess it didn't even have a name at this point, the day that an Amazon Chase Berkshire Hathaway something was announced. I mean, it was like shockwaves mm -hmm. in our industry. Was it ultimately overhyped, too ambitious? Overhyped, probably, but I, we say that with hindsight bias, right? Uh, when yeah. it actually was announced, I believe it got the amount of attention it did deserve, right? This this news did come out of nowhere. These are three very large companies deciding to come together. It was intriguing. That's why we talked about it. I, I think it was fair to give the amount of coverage that we did. And I think that, you know, whenever big initiatives or big companies like this end up failing, it's just sort of human nature to want to come out and say like, oh, I knew it all along, or, you know, I, I right. totally anticipated this, or I can't believe anyone took this seriously. Like that that kind of perspective, I, I get it. And it sort of makes you feel good. Like you had the, the, the future sight to see that this wasn't going to work out. And the other part of that is, you know, was this too ambitious? Again, probably. Like it was probably, if you look at their goals and what they were trying to do, I just think that they set out a, a plan that was far too vague and tried to balance way too many big, complex challenges at once. Should we take the rise and kind of fall of Haven as a signal that efforts for big tech to disrupt the healthcare industry are just are just doomed, that maybe healthcare is, you know, disruption proof? Is that the right takeaway? I would say no. And and the reason why is... You, you know, can say absolutely not. <laughs> That's the correct answer, by the way. I mean, yeah, I would I would lean towards that. I mean, the, the start of this, right, we talked about how there's those common examples of failure that industry skeptics like to bring up, right, with Health Vault or with the initial Google Health efforts and so on. And yet, look where these companies are today. It's not like they've fallen off the map. It's not like right. where you're still very much interested in what Microsoft is doing. They're establishing a ton of partnerships lately. They've actually been on a pretty exponential growth path in healthcare. Google has what started out as a simple product is now a division that is headed up by industry leaders and not just in the clinician space, but in the policy world. They have over 500 employees at this point just working wow. on healthcare. And so 
in many respects, you know, these these failed efforts were a lot of ways they were ahead of their time and the components were not really in place to let these early initiatives take off. But I think that if there were lessons learned, if these initiatives could be repurposed, deconstructed in some sort of way and put together, you know, later down the road, I think that that's just as helpful. Haven failed, but in those efforts, I'm sure Amazon learned plenty of lessons with respects to their Amazon care program that they've been running on the side anyway. That's right. And so why not combine those lessons and and keep running at this? I don't think big tech's anywhere near giving up on healthcare. And like you said, Haven was just one of the healthcare efforts that Amazon had, just one of of many, right? So we shouldn't take that as the demise of Amazon or of big tech more broadly. We're obviously living through a pretty seismic shift in the healthcare industry with the COVID-19 crisis. But it sounds to me like disruption or at least efforts to disrupt are maybe here to stay. If Haven was trying to disrupt maybe the old world of healthcare, the pre-COVID reality, do you have a sense of what would disrupt our sort of new reality in the peri or post-COVID world? Well, understand that big tech is also trying to have a hand in helping with COVID response, right? So we know something like the contact tracing efforts that Google and Apple tried to kick off the ground, like that really probably might be another example of something that's going to fail. I really don't think that that's going to be taking off. They are also trying to reach out as far as helping with vaccine distribution and, and the logistics around all that. Even still, when I think about the the idea of why did Haven fail versus what's potentially going to kick off this new future of healthcare in big tech, it makes me think about how Haven failed because it was essentially working with entrenched players and working within the bounds of existing healthcare rather than hmm. trying to really disrupt from a, you know, when we think disruption, we think of something that turns an industry on its head, right? Something right. that that creates new demand, that that reaches future needs that we don't even we're not even aware of today. So there's this this very popular book, The Innovator's Dilemma. It's by mm-hmm. Clayton Christensen. He's like a business strategist, thought leader, former professor. Unfortunately he passed away recently. But the the idea being that if you're a business, you have essentially two tracks of innovation. You have sustaining innovation and you have disruptive innovation. And what's sustaining innovation is really just, you know, you've got existing customers, you have high value opportunities, you're really just optimizing the way things are done versus disruptive innovation, which is like what Airbnb did and Netflix and Uber and all those companies. And so when I think of Haven and what they were trying to do, they were essentially just trying to fix things that are broken in healthcare. They were trying hmm, to So optimize. they were a sustaining innovation. In my, if I could apply the theory, maybe I'm stretching it a little bit, but the idea is that <laughs> Haven, in my mind, they, they came onto the map on paper looking like a disruptor when really they were falling more in line on that sustaining hmm. innovation track. They were basically coming in and saying, here's an established industry that needs some fixing. So let's tweak and optimize things. And hopefully, you know, we can maintain the existing customers, we can focus in on existing value opportunities, but they were essentially neglecting the possibility of a niche market or creating and reinventing products and services. That's where disruption really comes in. Hmm. And so it might be unfair or unrealistic to 
always expect big tech to be a disruptor because they might have disrupted industries that, you know, this is why they became such a huge force in basically every other industry. But we can't always expect the likes of Google, Apple, and Amazon to constantly reinvent everything that we do. Um, <laughs> it, it might be the case that the new the new world order or the next stage of healthcare is going to be redefined by some startup that is serving some really niche market that we're not paying any attention to. And out of nowhere, they're just going to come out with a, a new product or service that's just going to totally upend the market. And to your point, right, disruption can come from different players. I, I would like to think that it can come from within the entrenched healthcare systems themselves, or maybe from policy, or maybe from the non-kind of tech competitors, like the Walmarts and the, the retailers of the world. But, but I really want to hear your opinion, I guess. What is or what could be the next sort of disruptors that we should be watching for? I mean, this this does sort of play to how, you know, again, we we give big tech its its fair share of attention. I think that we should. I think that they are definitely a group of innovative organizations that do amazing things, especially in the technology space. But I also give plenty of credit to a lot of the digital health startups that are still often just trying to get on people's radar, trying to fix very select areas of healthcare, Mm -hmm. leveraging technology. I think that's where you start to see real innovation at play. These are people who are thinking not just outside of the box, they're essentially thinking without a box. And they are looking to not just tweak and fine tune the way healthcare is today, right? We are fully aware that healthcare needs a complete remodel in a lot of ways. And I think that if we have these external companies that are just going to continue to try to work with the existing playbook, that's really not going to get us where we need to be. Of course, there are factors here that are just beyond their control in some regards. You know, obviously, healthcare is extremely regulated. Um, there's a, There are a lot of rules. I'm not going to act like they, they don't have barriers that they need to overcome. But I think that when we look at how they're playing in this industry, I mean, some folks are going to be excited about big tech. Others are going to expect them to fail or worse, they're going to hope that they fail. And, you know, the real question is, should we be rooting for these companies? I mean, I as a consumer or as a patient, I would love for Apple or Google or Amazon to come up with something revolutionary, right? It would be great. Like make my life easier. But the Entrenched players, the folks who are incentivized and paid a certain way, regulated a certain way, how are they going to respond, right? right? That's just the kind of ongoing open-ended question. Well, from my experience, their response has largely been fear, right? Even if it's not the outright kind of rooting to fail, right? If I, again, think back to the initial announcements of the conglomerate, right, as Haven came together, as we've watched what Google and Apple and 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 even the Walmarts of the world have been doing, a lot of the response from the traditional players is is fear, is being afraid of what that's going to do to their business model. And I sort of want to ask you directly, what is your message to those people who are wary of that next big disruptor? So it comes down to framing in a lot of ways, right? We Like we just said, if they're weary of, of a new entrant and if we fear them. And I think that it's that perspective of 
if we fear big tech, then we will naturally set up resistance to them. If we, even mm-hmm. if we label them as disruptors, which I always, I use the term a lot. I know that we, we've thrown that term around a lot already just on this podcast because it's just the established term that most people use for big yeah, tech. Yeah, I don't know what other term to use. Exactly, Outsiders, uh, maybe? Well, I feel like that's even kind of like a negative term. Yeah. Right? Like this, this idea of like there are these, these outsiders, these disruptors, these external companies, it kind of gives off this vibe like they don't have any business being here or even just disruption, meaning like to break things apart. Like that that sounds kind of right. dangerous when you're dealing with healthcare. But it, it's really just a frame of mind. Like I said, imagine if we looked at this from more of a glass half full perspective and said, you know, let's hope that these companies actually come in here and fix things and let's mm. work collaboratively with them rather than trying to constantly run up against them head on. Or beat them at their game, which let's be honest is is not going to happen. Yeah. And I think that also, I mean, these are big tech companies that have made tremendous amount of profit and they've, you know, they've grown substantially over the years. They're obviously public companies. They have stockholders that they need to appease to. So I think that there is this sense of skepticism or perhaps some some negative light about big tech just going into healthcare for the sake of growing their own businesses and making money off of it. That's always going to be there as well. That's probably a conversation for another day, though. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for coming back on Radio Advisory. I know that as more news comes out, maybe the next big tech innovation, we'll have to have you back on the podcast. But before we close, I want to give you another moment to just kind of speak directly to our listeners. What do you want to make sure they take away this week? So healthcare incumbents, and by that, I mean, established legacy players or hospitals, health systems, clinics, and so on. They obviously have their core competencies, right? They're knowledge of medicine and clinical pathways, their relationships with physicians and payers and patients, their ability to work with clinical data. Like we know what they're good at. And whenever we have these discussions about big tech or other types of innovative disruptors that are coming into play, there's always this discussion of where do we fit in all of this? And I think that the incumbents, they know what they're good at and they should work and focus on that, but they still need to be at least alert and nimble enough to be able to adapt to all of the other innovations that are coming their way, mm-hmm. right? So do we expect them to be experts at things like digital advertising or e-commerce or app development or hardware development to, to build the next wearable or the next smartphone? Or do we expect them to be AI experts and and know how to work with advanced analytics? Probably not. When it comes to big tech and and these other kind of emerging entrants, you need to pick your battles, right? If you're looking to choose to compete with them head on, or you start to strategically outsource and develop the right partnerships with them, or (laughs) you invest in innovation centers, you start to think about how do we co-develop and spin out solutions that can diversify our business growth and and help to get us an edge in the marketplace so that you're not just standing still while the whole market continues to evolve right by you. So said another way, disruption is not something that just happens to you. You actually can, can shape the environment by talking about where do I compete? Where do I partner? Where do I maybe even invest? 
Yeah, it's about finding your core competency, right? You don't need to have a core competency in everything. You know, a a lot of incumbents feel like they're out of the loop when it comes to everything big tech is doing, but they still, like I said, have their areas of expertise, their connections with patients and with clinicians. They still very much have a part to play in all of this. Well, thanks for coming on Radio Advisory, Andrew. Thanks for having me back. Hope to have a future session. Andrew is spot on. I'm not sure the right way to think about Haven or Amazon or anyone in big tech is to be afraid of them. The reality is that big tech has done a lot of good for our industry, and it's not like they're going away. So the question for incumbents is, what is your role or your opportunity to partner with any of these so-called disruptors? We'll be right back with more of the news that our research team is watching. Democrats' plan to lower individual market costs would increase enrollment and improve assistance to existing enrollees. But it comes with a high price tag. The Congressional Budget Office has put out an assessment of current House proposals related to pandemic response, which includes a plan to increase premium tax credits on the Obamacare exchanges. The good news is that the CBO predicts that the enhanced credits would encourage 1.7 million more people to enroll in an exchange plan in 2022. The bad news is that the total cost of tax credits for new and existing enrollees is estimated to increase federal deficits by $34.2 billion between now and 2030. There's some confusing reporting around COVID-19 and health equity. The share of white COVID-19 deaths increased at the end of last year. But I want to be clear, significant disparities still remain for communities of color. We saw a large spike in cases in the Midwest during the fall and the winter. And that increased the proportion of white Americans who have died from COVID-19. But when you adjust for age... Deaths among Pacific Islander, Latino, Indigenous, and Black communities are still more than double those of white and Asian communities. Senate hearings to confirm some of Biden's nominees for top healthcare jobs have been scheduled for this week. The confirmation of Javier Becerra for HHS secretary will begin today. This will be an opportunity for the former California AG, who's raised some concerns among Republican lawmakers for his stance on abortion, to start outlining his plans for HHS. Hearings for the Surgeon General nominee Vivek Murthy and Assistant Secretary of HHS nominee Rachel Levine are scheduled to begin this week as well. We're still waiting for when hearings will be scheduled for Chiquita Brooks-Lashur, who's been nominated to lead CMS. And remember, as always, we're here to help.
By the way, every time I hear disruption, mm-hmm. <laughs> even if I'm when I'm saying it myself, for some reason it it echoes in my head to the tune of um, tradition from Fiddler on the Roof. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. You got to sing it now, Ray. Sorry. But <laughs> <laughs> disruption, disruption. <laughs> Beautiful. 